Good morning. Happy Easter. How's everybody doing? This was an awesome week weather-wise. Now, I'll admit, yesterday, a little crummy, right? But for the most part, early in the week, how many Forest Hillsers, Forest Hills families? Spring break was this week for you guys. Pretty good week, right, weather-wise? I mean, I know it was, it was a long journey getting there, but as I reminded my wife, who is a second-grade teacher, wasn't it worth the wait? Because, you know, some of these folks, I don't know, West Claremont, you had spring break like, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago or something? It was probably like 40 degrees outside and kind of, yeah, yeah, so it was worth the wait. Great weather this week. Great weather today, by the way. How many of you have plans after service? All right, great. We'll be done around 2 o'clock, so hopefully you'll be able to make it um, to your plans. Hey, my name is Matt Howe, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. Three, thrilled to be with you on this uh, Easter Sunday 2019. If I've not had the opportunity to meet you, maybe you're a guest today uh, or here for the first time in a long time, we'd love to uh, meet you down front here uh, after the service. So please come shake my hand and say hello. I was recalling yesterday how the church that I grew up in uh, used to offer what was called a sunrise service. Anybody remember sunrise services? Yeah. So Easter Sunday every year, um, the small kind of country rural church that I grew up in would host a sunrise service that literally took place at sunrise. So every Easter, I mean, we did not sleep in on Easter Sunday. You were up by probably 5.30, 6 in the morning at the latest. Uh, and t- typically we would have them at a park, although we were still close enough to the Ohio Valley that there were years where we had to move the service indoors because it was just too cold and wet. I think my favorite year uh, was when we got an actual live donkey And because the weather was so crummy, we had to bring the live donkey into the church fellowship hall. Uh, I'm not sure that was the wisest idea, maybe a bit risky. But I do remember there being a lot of excitement around the services. Um, Being a small church, everyone kind of had to pitch in and play their part, whether they were one of the cast members uh, telling the story uh, of Easter and the cross and the resurrection of Christ, uh, whether they were um, preparing breakfast because we'd have breakfast immediately following, or whatever the case may be, everyone pitched in. And there was a lot of excitement. And the climax of that story was when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away, removed completely from the entrance. And this story is recorded in John chapter 20, and I want to read it this morning just to kind of kick things off. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. By the way, this is John writing about himself. So not only is he the one Jesus loved, he's also the faster runner. I feel like if I was to write a gospel, this is how I would want to portray myself, right? It says, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. 
They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And verse 18 tells us that Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he had said these things to her. I have seen the Lord. The Lord. My prayer is that when you walk out the doors of this room this morning, you will be able to look at the people with whom you love and with whom have come here with you this morning, and you will be able to declare to them from your very own lips, with your very own tongue, I have seen the Lord. That's why we're here. Hopefully, everyone recognized what happened here behind me this morning, thanks to these lovely folks. It's called worship. We do it here every Sunday. And it's amazing to be in the presence of other believers and to be in the presence of Almighty God Himself. I have seen the Lord this morning. How many of you were able to attend Good Friday service this past week? Maybe maybe it was here, maybe it was somewhere else. So I loved what we did. I would commend Eric and Danny and the team and all those who worked so hard to make, make it happen, both Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. Just excellent, excellent experiences. And on Good Friday, we left the church in, in silence, and we left the church in mourning because they had, they had taken this broken and battered and beaten body of Christ down off the cross. And in our minds and in our hearts, It was the end. Today, however, today is a new day. Today is a new day. Today is the third day. Today is Easter Sunday. And today we get to celebrate. Why? Because the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. And maybe you've been here a thousand times, or maybe you've been here one time. Maybe you've set foot in church your entire life. Maybe this is your first time inside of a church house. And maybe you would ask the question, what difference does Easter make? Let me be the first to tell you, it makes all the difference. 
we just say that together? I'm going to ask the question, what difference does Easter make? And you're just going to say it makes all the difference. Are you ready? This is a test for later because I'm going to have you talking a lot here in a minute. You're like, oh, man, I didn't come here to talk. Too bad. All right, here we go. What difference does Easter make? It makes all the difference. Here we go. What difference does Easter make? No, no, no. I said what difference does Easter make? It makes all the difference. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul. This is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on and he says, not that I have already obtained all this. We would say that this morning. Not that we have already obtained all this or that we have already arrived at our goal. But the one thing we do, we press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. What is he saying? What is Paul talking about? Well, in the first six verses of chapter three, Paul had given us a pretty lengthy and impressive resume. Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so jealous that I harshly persecuted this church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul is saying, look at me. In a way, what Paul is saying is this. I used to think that all of those things mattered. But now, I know better. In fact, he says in his letter to the Corinthians, I now resolve to know nothing except this one thing, and that is Christ and him crucified. Maybe you're here this morning, and like Paul, you are failing to see that which is most important, that which matters most. Maybe you spend a lot of time worrying about this thing or that thing. Perhaps you are consumed with what others think of you. Perhaps you think that the mark of success is the abundance of your possessions or the car that you drive or the house that you live in or the size of your bank account or the college that you go to or your GPA or your musical talent or your athletic ability or the person you married or the children you have. Perhaps it is in these things that you find your value. Perhaps, like Paul, you are relying too heavily upon the family in which you were born into or the town in which you come from, from a series of good deeds and from the fact that you attend church regularly. 
And I hope that you know along with me that while some of those things, yeah, they matter a little bit, none of them matters in the same way or to the same degree as knowing Christ Jesus. That is what matters most. To put it in the context of Easter weekend, whatever mattered on Friday doesn't mean squat on Sunday. Friday is only significant because of what happened on Sunday. The resurrection proved that Jesus was the Son of Almighty God. The resurrection gave infinitely more meaning to every teaching that Jesus had given, every healing that Jesus had conducted, and every single miracle that Jesus had performed. The resurrection gave meaning to the cross. Beginning in verse 7, Paul expresses his passion to know Christ even more than he does now. I mean, imagine that. Like, if we were to compare ourselves, right? Here I am, here's Paul in, in the levels of spirituality. I'm thinking Paul's up here somewhere, right? And yet Paul says, I want to know Christ even more than I do now. Paul says, I consider everything a loss. What I used to consider a win what I used to consider a victory, what I used to consider a defeat, what I used to think to find success, what I used to think really mattered, now I consider it all loss. And the only thing that matters is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else he says is garbage. And I actually think that Paul's putting it kind of nicely there. Everything else is garbage. God's love was demonstrated for us in the cross on Friday. And now God's power is demonstrated for us in the resurrection on Sunday. I will often hear people say, Jesus died on the cross for me. And that is absolutely correct. Absolutely true. Jesus did. He hung on the cross for you. And for me, for all of us. But that's only a part of the story. Friday was only the beginning. And without Sunday, Friday means nothing. Jesus died on the cross for you. That is true. But Jesus also walked out of the tomb for you. And not just you, for all of us. Jesus walked out of the tomb. Say for me. Go ahead. For me. That's right, Jesus walked out of the tomb for me. Jesus walked out of the tomb, say, for my spouse. Jesus walked out of the tomb, say, for my children. Jesus walked out of the tomb, say, for my parents. Jesus walked out of the tomb, say, for my friends. Jesus walked out of the tomb, say, for my enemies. A few of you dropped out there. Jesus walked out of the tomb for my anxiety, save for my anxiety. Jesus walked out of the tomb for my depression, say my depression. Jesus walked out of the tomb for my fear, say my fear. Jesus walked out of the tomb, ladies and gentlemen. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
For Paul, to know Christ more meant to become like him in his death and to experience the power of his resurrection. And that is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for me. That is my prayer for each one of us this morning. My prayer is that we would be able to identify ourselves with Christ. That we would all know the power of the resurrection. This power which the Bible says is imparted to us through the Spirit of God. What kind of power is it? It's resurrection power. What kind of power is it? It's resurrection power. Would anyone here this morning like a little bit of resurrection power? Man, I would like some. (laughs) Maybe I should say that again. Would anyone here like a little bit of resurrection power? Yes. 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 There is a song by contemporary Christian artist, his name is Jeremy Camp, and it's called Same Power. And I want to use the lyrics of this song to break down the way the power of God works in and through our life. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that for those who have the spirit of God living in them, they have the power of God living in them. Now let me just clue you in a little bit. What does that mean? That means that if the spirit of God is not living in you, that you also do not have the power of God living in you. Right? But those who do, those of us who do, who have the Spirit of God living in us through a life-changing, life-altering relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the power of God in us to what? To live a triumphant life. The first verse of Camp's song goes like this. He says, I can see waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. I've been at that place. I've been at that place. Have any of you ever been at that place? The world is in turmoil, or at the very least, your world is in turmoil. The stressors, the pressures, the frustration, it's all building up inside of us. I've felt my accusers encircling me. I have felt my enemies encamped around me. This is the beautiful part of of Jeremy Camp's verse. He says, we will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. Why? Because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, the same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us. He lives in us in us. God's power is in us, allowing us to live triumphantly. We don't have to succumb to the pressure. The stress and the frustration do not have to boil over. Our enemies will not, nay, our enemies cannot win. Why? Because Christ is victorious. Christ defeated sin on the cross, and Christ defeated death in the resurrection. How does a champion walk? Kevin Snyder. How does a champion walk? Look, a loser hangs his head. A champion walks tall. How are you walking? Are you walking victoriously? 
Those of you who have the Spirit of God living in you, those of us who have the Spirit of God living in us, we have the power of God living in us. It is the power to persevere through suffering. The second verse of Camp's song reads like this, I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face every fear of the unknown. I can hear all God's children singing out. Anyone here ever been through a difficult time? Anyone here ever been through a hard season? Just go ahead and show me your hands. Anybody? Hard season, difficult time? Okay, all right. Anyone here in the middle of something like that, like right now? Anyone here facing the fear of the unknown? Truth be told, this world is hard. Navigating this world alone is impossible. But guess what? Jesus walked out of the grave so that you don't have to navigate this world alone. Camp writes, we will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. Why? Because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, the same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same powers that can calm a raging sea lives in us. He lives in us. James says about suffering that we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. And you're like, oh, okay, James, sure. Woo! Love suffering. Why would James say this? Because God is by our side. God is at our side. God is helping us, holding us. He is going to use that thing in our life for good. That thing in and of itself may not be good. It may, in fact, be very bad. But we can trust God to use it for good. God's power can help us to persevere through suffering. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. For those of you that don't know the story, there was a thorn in Paul's flesh. Something that was absolutely eating him alive. Something that was threatening his ministry as well as his very livelihood. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed again, God, take this thing from me. But God said, "Mm -mm. mm-mm, mm-mm, I'm not taking it. My grace for you, Paul, is sufficient, and my power is perfected in your weakness. Paul knew that God's power would be able to take over when he was too weak to carry on. Those who have the spirit of God living in them have the power of God living in them. It is the power to live forever. The third verse and the final verse in Camp's song reads like this. We have hope that his promises are true. In his strength, there is nothing we can't do. Yes, we know that there are greater things in store. The single greatest antidote to the poison of this corrupt world is hope. And believers in Jesus Christ have it. We have hope. On the darkest day, we have hope. We have hope that his promises are true, that he is who he says he is. We have hope in something that is far greater than this world. We have hope in eternity. Greater things are in store. And as Camp writes, we will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. Why? Because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, 
lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea, lives in us. He lives in us. So here is my prayer for you this morning. It is the same prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Those who have the spirit of God living in them have the power of God living in them. Is the Spirit of God living in you? I'm serious. I'm serious. Every eye up here. Is the Spirit of God living in you? He died on a cross for you. He absolutely died on a cross for you. His blood was shed for your transgression, past present and future. He walked, he danced out of a tomb for you. His resurrection means new life for those who call upon his name, for those who call him Lord. Every head bowed, every set of eyes closed, I'm going to pray a prayer this morning. And if you are here this morning and you have not seen Jesus, if you have never looked upon Jesus Christ as Lord, then I want you to simply repeat the words of this prayer silently to yourself. And it goes like this. Father God, I acknowledge that I am lost and am living powerless. Father God, I have allowed the enemy to steal my hope. I have allowed the enemy to kill my witness and to destroy my confidence for far too long. Gracious Lord, I repent of my sin and I ask you for your forgiveness. And today, On this Resurrection Sunday, on this Easter 2019, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today, I cling to your truth. May it set me free. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for accepting me into your family. Thank you for the promise of eternal life in heaven and abundant life this side of heaven through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. God, grant me strength and power to live for you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.